Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We get to continue our studies in history, in church history. This is fascinating. I love it. February is fantastic because (laughs) of all these commemorations and festivals and feasts. We get to learn so much history this month. So looking forward to learning about St. Matthias, the commemoration on February 24th. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, Dr. Robert Sorensen, Professor of Theology and Foreign Languages at Concordia University, Chicago. Dr. Sorensen, thanks so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour. Thank you for having me. So today, February 24th, is the Church's commemoration of St. Matthias. So where do we hear about Matthias in Scripture? There's only one place. (laughs) There's only one place. So it's in Acts chapter 1. It's after the ascension and before the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost, and there's a famous scene, takes about half of the first chapter, where the disciples say, the apostles, I should say, and the 120 total say, now that Judas has gone his own way, um, we need to replace him. There needs to be a 12th apostle. I've always uh, said in commenting on this, it's interesting that they are so intent on replacing and having 12 and that Luke as an author spends a half a chapter, you know, who knows how much more he could write because he couldn't fit it on that scroll that he wrote, but he takes time to say they picked a 12th apostle and it ends up being Matthias. What is, what is significant about the way that he was chosen to be an apostle? So it says that they, it's often translated cast lots. And uh, if you read the Greek, it actually says they threw lots. And it may be a kind of a distinction without a difference. And there are places in the Old Testament where they, in uh, cultic and in worship settings, uh, cast lots on the Day of Atonement when there are two, two goats, one that's going to be slaughtered. And then what's going, that one is that one is going to be the scapegoat. They cast lots to see which is which. Um, and there's a proverb that talks about, you know, God uh, gets the final say, even if people cast lots. Um, some try to make it out that it was kind of like a vote. Um, but it's unusual because the the most natural reading is they cast lots. And that that rubs people some, some people the wrong way, like that's not very churchly or that. It's kind of like gambling or something. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> even the church, excuse me, even the church father Chrysostom, John Chrysostom, a, a great preacher from the fourth century in Antioch says, now this was never repeated. Huh. Interesting. So do we know anything else about his life um, before he was chosen I, I don't want to say gambled on, but before he was <laughs> before he was chosen um, to to take Judas's place, uh, do we know anything else about his life prior to this? We do, but we don't. But let me just quickly tell you what we do know and say, chosen's a key word. I'm so glad you said that because um, it will say that they prayed and they said, "Lord, you choose," and it's the exact word that's used when Jesus ch- uh, selects the twelve disciples. So 
even though there's an unusual way of discerning Lord's choice, to put it that way, um, the, the narrative very much casts this as Lord's choice. But what we know about him is really only to be inferred from this passage. He's never mentioned. Um, what the apostles say as they're considering is interesting. It says, as they're deliberating, they say, um, let's pick someone who's been with Jesus the whole time, beginning with John, beginning with the baptism of John, and up until the day that he was taken up from us, and that would imply the ascension, of course. This person must be a witness to the resurrection, I say. So if they put two guys forward, having stated those qualifications, it can only be that both Matthias and the other fellow met the qualifications. Mm -hmm. The other fellow being Joseph called Barsabbas, by the way. We can't can't let him be left out of the schedule. <laughs> and this, this may be a bit of a tangent, um, but how does this then relate to our process for calling pastors in the church. I know going through a call process recently in, in our own church, this was the passage that we read in our in our voters assembly as we were deliberating and, and talking about a pastor to call. How does this relate to that process that we now have in our church today? I don't think it's the casting of the lots. That's such an unusual detail that people kind of uh, naturally focus attention on that. But the prayer that comes right before it is interesting. So as I said, they first of all say, here's the qualifications. Someone who was with Jesus followed from the beginning till the day he was taken up from us. Someone who's witness to the resurrection. And then they set forth too. And then they pray and say, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which of these two you've chosen. So I think the idea is that even though there is human agency, um, you know, the call process involves human beings. And sometimes we think, oh boy them with their foils and the foibles and the whole thing. And yet we do what we can to discern God's will and have a qualification as well. You know, these people must be, in this case, witnesses in modern times, people who have been taught and tested and, and shown to hold and to be able to teach the sound doctrine. So like I said, we focus on the casting of the lots, but Really, the people do something that's quite sensible. They say, we need someone, a witness to the resurrection, a person who heard everything Jesus taught and walked with them the whole way. And we have a couple. And then let's pray, Lord, show us. Hmm. I guess it. Just, I can see how to some it seems very foreign. But to me, mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't seem that odd. But <laughs> I, well, I, I just think certainly... The, if the Lord can speak through Balaam's donkey, oh, right. he can he can use casting lots too, right? To accomplish whatever he wants. So uh, how how do we see Matthias serving then? Do we learn much about how he serves the church after he's called or chosen? It's so interesting because, like I said, this is the one place it never mentions we give. And in fact, numerous majority of the apostles are never mentioned in the book of Acts. Um and like I said, if, if Luke is so intent to tell you about this election and then never mentions, mentions him again, what's with that? And I think the answer is he wants people to see that there's a symbolic value to picking 12 apostles, even before this, when Jesus is, is uh, teaching 
and preaching and selects the 12. 12, of course, is the number of tribes amongst uh, the ancient Jews, 12 tribes of, of Israel. And we can understand it this way as people of God. So Jesus is going to renew and recreate in such a way that even includes Gentiles, people of God, starting with those who have found the church. So I think there's a lot to the idea that, you know, these 12 are essential. Luke calls them the 12 over and over and over, by the way. He likes to use the, the expression, the 12, even better than calling apostles. Um, but then what does he do? You know, we really don't know. The church fathers uh, tell us some things, but it's it's kind of, it's not very clear. You know, some say that he taught in Judea, in, in the Jewish homeland, and was killed there, martyred there by stoning. Others say that he went to Ethiopia and taught there, was martyred there. There's not really a strong tradition. Um, perhaps that's why there are Gnostic Christians, there are heretics within a couple hundred years saying, oh, here's the secret teaching and we got it from Matthias. You know, the heretics love to, to do this, produce writings and put it in the name of somebody who's trusted. But because we don't know what he was, know much about him, uh, that might've been uh, why they kind of latched off him of all. But to answer your question, we don't know really anything, at least from the scriptural record of what he did subsequently. Why then do we, I don't know, why then do we, do we have a day for him? Why do we commemorate him when, when there's so little that we know about him? What makes his story something that's worth us uh, spending time and spending this, this day uh, commemorating him in the church? It's such a great question. You know, um, I'll put it this way. Um, even little people in a great endeavor become important by virtue of the greatness of the endeavor. That makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. even if you were the backup punter on a Super Bowl winning team, you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he's one of the, one of the 12 men who helped found the Christian church. And again, we don't know precisely. Now this happened in Judea. So he, he must have at least done some work in Judea, in the area around Jerusalem. It wouldn't surprise us in the least, at least if he went to as far as Ethiopia, you know, the apostles we know went far and wide. Um, but if you say, well, it might even be a lesser role, say compared to Peter or John or Paul, it's nonetheless such a, such an amazing thing. I, I always tell students, um, it's not really a question of, of what Christians believe. It's just a question of historical fact that the Christian movement spread like wildfire and it did so in spite of great odds. Um, you know, there were more intense persecutions a, a little bit later, but Christianity was never more than kind of ignored or maybe kind of tolerated by looking the other way with something that's illegal by the authorities. Uh, at, at times early on, there was very intense martyrdom, you know, within a couple of chapters in the book of Acts, we hear about Stephan who's killed right in that, in that town of Jerusalem. And yet the church grew as Jesus had promised, you'll be my witnesses to the end of the earth. It happened. So even though he doesn't play kind of the leading part, he was a part of that team. And if indeed he went to Ethiopia, 
Uh, I can tell you that there's been a Christian church in Ethiopia from as, as long as, as we know, and, um, and it, and it still carries on. So I would say it's the enormity of what he was a part of that makes him a we're learning about Matthias on his uh, the day of commemoration of Matthias. The church commemorates him uh, February 24th. Today we're learning with Dr. Robert Sorensen, Professor of Theology and Foreign Languages at Concordia University, Chicago. We have more to learn about Matthias today. I hope you can stick around for more of the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're learning about Matthias today as the church commemorates Matthias on February 24th. Our guest today, Dr. Robert Sorensen, Professor of Theology and Foreign Languages at Concordia University, Chicago. Before we went to Dr. Sorensen, you had shared how Matthias was a part of something bigger. You, you know, made the reference to Super Bowl for those who watch <laughs> Super Bowl outside of St. Louis. Um, for those who 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 watch Super Bowl, or for those of us in the arts, it's a, being a part of the ensemble, or go, being yeah. part of the cast or the crew. You know, it, it, he, he was certainly a part of something bigger that was happening. What can we learn from his life, or as you pointed out, the the life of the apostles um, that is is still valuable? What do you what do you teach about this in your classes at Concordia? Well, let's go back to that word chosen, um, mm -hmm. um, and, and this is really not about him, right? So they assemble people who have followed, or they have two anyway, but out of the community. Which, by the way. After all that Jesus did, it says there was 120 disciples in Jerusalem. When you think about how much Jesus had done, the miracles, raising the dead, himself rising from the dead, you think, that's not a very big number. <laughs> so it shows, once again, how, uh, how, how remarkable the growth of the early church was. You know, nothing overcame it, not even the, uh, the crucifixion of its founder. But... Um, he was chosen, you know, somewhere along the line, he began following Jesus from very early on. Says so someone who was a witness from the time of John, we know how Peter and Andrew, James, John were chosen, not necessarily to be apostles straight away. That took a little while, but Jesus came up and said, follow me. And they, they followed. And we know that there was, um, pretty low key beginnings with those. And we can well imagine something similar with Matthias. He was called first to be a follower of Jesus. And then, although not in Jesus' lifetime during his earthly ministry, but after the resurrection, he's chosen or called, we might say, to be an apostle. So um, I, I think 
it, it kind of emphasizes precisely because he is so little, little known, the graciousness of the call. Um, just a couple of Sundays ago, you know, we heard that reading where, uh, Peter is called and Luke gives us more information where, uh, Jesus tells him, cast his nets at me. So we worked all night. Okay. But it's your word. And he catches a miraculous catch. And he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And, you know, this is quite common in the Bible where people are called and they say, you know, Moses says, I can't talk. And Isaiah says, says I'm a man of unclean lips. And Jeremiah says, I'm just a youth. We see over and over that people that don't think they're self up to the, don't consider themselves up to the task are called. And then Jesus makes them worthy, makes them able. He empowers them, so to speak. So it says a lot that he's really not an important character. And yet another aspect, having used the sports metaphor, you know, sometimes you're on the bench and they give you the call and might even be a big game. I mean, he could not have known that day. Maybe there was chatter that there was going to be a 12th apostle, but he might've been caught totally by surprise. Can you imagine waking up one day and by the time you go to bed, uh, you're one of the 12th? <laughs> be, uh, <laughs> awkward. That's Maybe. a life change. Also very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> it emphasizes wow. it's really about the Lord's call, right? And yeah. he doesn't yeah. call what's already prepared. He calls and then makes able. Yeah. What is that? What does that mean for, for us? What is that application? It's so often, uh, as you're saying, so often we don't feel like we're up up to the task maybe for the work that is maybe put in front of us. But what is this example that Matthias has for us? It's not the one called, it's the one who calls. And I think we could say it's not merely that we don't feel up to the task. Yeah, we're not up to the task. So yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. It, it's all about God's grace. And we, and we, and we uh, as Lutherans, we're so precise to say, um, you know, that faith is received passively as a gift. So regeneration is totally God's work. Um, and yet what's received passively doesn't remain passive. Whom God calls, he not only justifies, but bestows his spirit and he empowers. So the one calling also empowers and enables and does things that we by ourselves can't do through us. If you were to give Matthias a nickname <laughs> among the apostles, I wonder what nickname, would you give him a nickname, Dr. Sorensen, or how would you characterize him based on what little we know about him? Well, so here's something that I did mention. Um, he, mm -hmm. he was, he was a lot. So in, in, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, each one has a very specific account about Jesus appointing the 12th mm -hmm. and making the apostles. But Luke alone in chapter 10 talks about a kind of a second mission that involves 70 or 72. Mm -hmm. The numbers kind of disputed. Does this sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of people say he was one of the 70. Uh, there's mm -hmm. patristic sources that say this, and it makes sense. And they do this with, with more than just Matthias, you know, um, Clopas who's in, in chapter 24, one of the two walking on the road to Emmaus, um, there's other, other, so, you know, um, 
you might say he was kind of the minor leaguer that you got the call up. <laughs> Judas went down and had, so you could, you could, but as I, I'd go back to the idea, you know, if you want to give him a nickname, you know, kind of, kind of off the bench or six man, something like that. But I, I think what I would say again is there's no small jobs in Endeavor this great. Yeah. Nor for us mm-hmm. as we serve Christ. So if I were a student in your class, what class, what class would I need to take in order to dig into this good church history <laughs> like this? So I teach Christian scripture um, and Greek. So I, I teach um, biblical Greek and, um, and Christian scripture. So we have introduction to Bible. We have New Testament. All church workers, as you guys would know. You had this course yourself, have to take New Testament and Old Testament. And then we have upper level courses. And just next year, I'll be teaching uh, on Luke and Acts. And so this is a very Luke and thing. It comes out of the book of Acts. So um, I also teach courses in church history, as is my colleague, Dr. James Lee. So um, along the way, we certainly talk about uh, not only what the Bible reveals about a character like this, but also what the early church fathers and the early church says about it. Hmm. Now I want to go back to Concordia and learn some more church history. What I'm, I'm curious, um, I mean, Matthias is, is just one part of the book of Acts and all of these things. What are some of the other um, highlights that you would learn in, in a Luke and Acts uh, class about all of these other works that happen in the book of Acts? The book of Acts uh, begins um, with Jesus just before he ascended, saying, "You're going to be my witnesses, and you'll you'll give testimony in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." And many people think that is Luke's own kind of outline. First seven chapters tell what happens to the fledgling Christian church in Jerusalem, the city where Jesus was uh, crucified and then rose from the dead, and made numerous resurrection appearances. At the end of that section, chapter one to seven, in chapter seven, we hear the story of the first Christian martyr, a guy named Stephen. And he's killed by the very same Sanhedrin which had condemned Jesus. So the Christian message is received in Jerusalem at Pentecost. They go from 120 to 3,000 as fast as they could baptize him, right? Uh, but there's also opposition. And What's interesting is that the church spreads beyond Jerusalem, as Luke tells the story, because they ran out of town after Stephen's martyrdom. So Luke's a very interesting author in that he tells us the Lord did unbelievable things through his spirit. 3,000 converted with Peter and the disciples uh, spoke at Pentecost. Um, They did all sorts of miracles and were able to preach as crowds gathered in chapter 3. Once again, they were faithful in fearless even before death, like Stephen, who indeed sees a vision of the glorified Jesus as he's dying. But there are also people who see something run away, right? Split out of town. They're not, they're not supermen. They react like we would. But according to Luke, that's how the church spread. So you go from, it's going to be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other earth. You go from Jerusalem to the mission to Judea and Samaria. When they're chased out of town, it's a very Lucan theme. Opposition is bad and it hurts people, but it, it actually serves the purpose of the gospel. So it goes into kind of the, well, I'll call it this, the, the collar county 
in around Jerusalem. The next step out, Judea and Samaria. And then, of course, with chapter 13, you get to the ends of the earth because Paul and Barnabas begin the three missionary journeys. There's a fourth, if you count it that way, where Paul is taken prisoner to Rome. But, of course, he's preaching all the way. It's a very looking thing to say the church spread on the one hand because the Spirit did marvelous things. And on the other hand, persecution, which often kind of chased the Christians along, actually helped things. So I'm, I'm maybe trying to say too much here in too short a time, but it's, it's a fabulous, fabulous testimony and story of how God worked through people, through the church. Thanks be to God. Yes. Amen. Dr. Sorensen, thank you so much for joining us for the Coffee Hour today and helping us learn about Matthias. Thank you. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere.